When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark Randy, Evan Giddings with you as always. Mark, my man, how are you? I'm doing well, Evan. Happy Wednesday. We are inching closer to the start of a postseason football. And I don't know for, for you today, recording this Wednesday morning, it feels like a Thursday to me. Uh, because the Niner game is only a few days away. Generally, they play on Sunday, but because they kick off the uh, Super Wild Card weekend uh, on Saturday, the, the weekend or the week, I say, is kind of shortened a day. So it feels like a Thursday. I don't think that's a good thing because it means we still have a few more days of work. But it is a Wednesday, but we are closer than normal to a Niners kickoff. So I'm looking forward to that. How are you? I'm doing well. And and I, you bring up a good point because I think there are some advantages to having the first game as much as I wouldn't like if the 49ers lost, meaning, OK, now I got to go watch the rest of these football games, knowing yeah. that the team that I was rooting for is losing and is done for the rest of the postseason. You also, on the flip side, have a chance to relax if the 49ers can take care of business. And the opening line that I saw was about. Nine and a half, you know, 10 points. So obviously they're going to be heavily favored against the Seattle Seahawks. And it is Seahawks week, Mark, for the third time this year. It is not often, uh, number one, that you get to play a team multiple times in the same season. And it is not often that you get to play a division opponent in the playoffs for a third time. So the 49ers have a chance to tic-tac-toe their way through the Seattle Seahawks. They already obviously beat them twice in the regular season, week two, as well as week 15 on the road, and now they get their third chance at home. Um, It does feel like, Mark, though, that we talked last year a lot about how the 49ers and the Rams rivalry was one that was, you know, kind of, I guess, solidified with a postseason meeting. Well, the 49ers and Seahawks already got history. They've already met in the postseason, and it's been waterworks uh, primarily, especially the last meeting for the 49ers. But they have a chance here, and it feels like this is a chance to kind of not only rekindle the rivalry in the postseason, but also snatch it back, like just snatch back whatever, you know, the, the, the bad vibes, the bad feelings that were left in your mouth the last time that the Seattle Seahawks and the 49ers met, which, of course, was in the NFC title game um, to go to the Super Bowl and Richard Sherman and Michael Crabtree, that whole you know post post game uh, interview. That's that's one we want to forget for sure. But right. But rivalry week it is, Mark, because the Seattle Seahawks are coming to town. But yeah, I, I first of all, I want to tell all Niner fans listening uh, because it's Seahawks week in the postseason. 
you're going to get some unfortunate memories kind of dredged up. That's just the way it's going to go. The 2013 season, of course, ended in the NFC title game in Seattle against the Seahawks on that Richard Sherman tip interception of uh, Colin Kaepernick pass to, to Michael Crabtree. I have already seen that highlight a bunch of times. In fact, uh, one of our colleagues, Evan, we work with the 95-7 the game, Lucas Alexander, had completely washed that game from his memory. We were watching highlights thinking of, you know, what former Niner players we might want to talk to this week on the radio. And uh, we were looking through the highlights of that game, and he had no clue how it ended. He didn't even remember the interception. He so far wiped it from his memory. He didn't even know how the game ended. So to 49er fans, just know I, I understand your pain. I'm right there with you. This is a, a tough week when you think back, but I think the Niners, and, and you mentioned the point spread, that the Vegas thinks it could be a two-score a two win for the 49ers. This should be a, uh, a better week than the, the, the other postseason matchup between these two teams. But I think you're right. Uh, this is the Niners' biggest rival if Seattle fell off this year, you know, maybe you know, or if they continued to fall off after not making the playoffs last year, maybe that changes a little bit. But you have to credit Pete Carroll and, and how quickly they recovered and built back up into a postseason team. I mean, he's now made the playoffs, what, 10 times in 13 seasons there at the helm of the Seahawks. I mean, he's been the driving force behind them. He survived a handful of Niners coaches. And now the Niners are, are back up near the top of the league, and these are two teams butting heads once again. So I think I'm with you. This is the uh, this is the the rivalry in the NFC West. It's it's Niners and it's Seahawks. There was a little bit of a hi- hiatus there for the Rams, uh, but it looks like they're going to be down for a bit of time. And and the Seahawks certainly questions around the future of their quarterback spot, Evan. Uh, but with how well they drafted, they're at least going to be competitive for years to come, it seems like. And now they have a, a top 10 pick because of the Denver Broncos uh, giving them endless picks for Russell Wilson, which now looks like the worst trade in NFL history. They're going to be competitive for a while. The Niners are certainly set up as well. So I think this is only a rivalry that will continue to grow as the years pass. I think that the rivalry will continue so long as Pete Carroll is head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Because one, like you just laid out, he has led that team to the postseason in 10 of the past 13 years. So there is going to be a high level or at least a a high floor for most of the Seattle Pete Carroll led teams. And as we've seen this year, I think their projected win total this season was over under five and a half. Like they were not supposed to be very good this year. People wrote them off including Geno Smith, who, of course, famously did not write back. (laughs) But you trade Russell Wilson, and you get Geno Smith, who then goes on to set the single-season passing record for Seattle. And we're going to dive deeper into the the matchups and things that will matter on Friday. But my belief is that looking forward, including, of course, what has already transpired in the past decade, decade plus between these two franchises, it is hard for me to think of any other rival for the 49ers even with the Rams having gone past you last postseason and gotten to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl just because of the amount of consistent competitiveness between these two sides the 49ers and the Seahawks have been really the standard bearer over the last you know decade and a half in the NFC West 
And looking around, it doesn't appear that the NFC West is going to be getting any better next year. Now, Seattle probably has the highest ceiling just because of the amount of youth on their roster, as long, uh, along with what Pete Carroll's shown he's able to do with just a minor amount of talent. But the Rams aren't looking good for next season. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals certainly don't know what the hell they're doing. They just let King Kingsbury, uh, Cliff Kingsbury go, and they're locked into a quarterback who likes video games apparently more than playing quarterback. So, and who also I, has a torn ACL. Who also has a torn ACL, and his game's predicated on speed. Those two don't match. I don't know if there's going to be anyone else in the near future outside of Seattle that I would even consider a rival for the 49ers. No, at least... Not a rival in the sense that they're going to, you're going to be fighting with in them division, for in for, division, yeah, in in four division championships. There's still you know bad blood, and Niner fans will definitely feel good about beating the Rams in the future if if that is how it plays out. But you're right. I mean, I think the the clear hierarchy in the NFC West, um, as you you think about the future, is how it played out this year: the Niners and the Seahawks, because not only are the Rams and the Cardinals down this year, but as you laid out, their future looks murky at best. So uh, you have kind of by default, the Seattle Seahawks, who, as we talked about, have a lot of really young talent who helped them get to the playoffs this year. They will only get better and they're going to have some top picks because of the way that the Broncos handled their most recent offseason. And the Niners already have the most talented roster in football. So kind of by default, those are the two teams in this division that should be competitive for years to come. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how, um, I don't know, the, the the nature of this rivalry and the nature of the division plays out in the future. But I think there is one thing that's fairly obvious, Evan, despite the fact that I would say the future of the Seahawks is still relatively bright. Uh, the Niners have picked a hell of a time to be good because of how, how, how depressed the division is going to be four years to come. We talked a lot earlier in the season about the 49ers Super Bowl window. Obviously, a big part of any championship window is being able to be competitive and win your division. Maybe the Niners have a bigger window than than we previously thought, Evan, because of how bad this division might be in the future. You might only have to compete with Seattle for the next three, four, five years. That that might be the way it plays out because of how incredibly bleak the future of the Rams and potentially the Cardinals look. This could be Niners versus Seahawks for years to come. And as it currently stands, I'd be willing to bet on the 49ers. So that might extend their ability to win in the postseason even further because they might have a very good chance to win this division for years to come. Well, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because as I was just kind of looking at the rivalry over the past, um, you know, 10 years, then started to go further back. I, I, I hate to report, Mark, but it has been dominated by the Seattle Seahawks. It's a new day, Evan. It is. It is. And this is the first year in quite some time that the, that the 49ers have swept the Seattle Seahawks in the regular season. So the all-time series would stand at 30 and 19 in favor of Seattle or 19 and 30, not in favor of San Francisco. And of course, their one postseason meeting was in the 2013 NFC title game. So this is maybe not a way to get even. I don't think even a lopsided blowout victory would be able to take the pain away from what a lot of 49ers fans felt on that day, a la Lucas Alexander, who is 
done all he can to wipe it from his memory. Although I, I will say about Lucas, I think he was a senior at USC at the time. So maybe he just was incapacitated. We don't even know what was going on. So I, I went to college in the Pacific Northwest with a lot of, ironically, a lot of California kids, a lot of Northern California kids, Sacramento. So a lot of 49ers fans. The only two fan bases that that were given a a blink were the Seahawks and the 49ers yeah. the entire time, the entire time that I went to school there. And we had an assembly that night. And all of my friends, it, it was like some... I don't know, athlete assembly, uh, our baseball team had to go and, you know, watch some, it, it was, it was, it was like some, you know, don't do drugs and don't, <laughs> don't use steroids and, you know, don't, don't do all these bad things you're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to do on the college campus. Anyways, it was some seminar. So we we're at that and literally everyone was on their phones watching the NFC title game and hooping, hollering, doing the best they can to conceal their, like they're squealing their, their, their pump fists. And the game ended just as the assembly finished. We wow. all walk outside and, you know, of course the final play happens. 49ers fans are crushed. Seahawks fans are ecstatic and we all walk out and you could see everyone in red walk to the left with their head down <laughs> and you could see everyone in the blue or illuminated green walk to the right. And they were all cheering and everyone walking to the left was in complete and utter silence. And it is a scene that has been ingrained in my mind that I will be thinking about this weekend because there is a chance now for the, for the Seahawks fans who walked right to walk with their head down and walk with tears as they walk away from Levi's Stadium. And there's a chance for the 49ers fans who walked left to finally have their head raised high and cheer because hopefully they have at least balance the scales as far as the record in the postseason is concerned. I get that, but this is also an entirely different matchup because the Seahawks are, I mean, like that, that NFC yeah, title significantly game. worse. Yeah, they're significantly worse and their expectations are not nearly the same. I mean, that NFC title game was by far the two best teams in the NFC. People were looking forward to that in matchup. the NFL. Yeah. I mean, either team would have dominated the Broncos. You saw the, the Seahawks do it in the Super Bowl. The Niners would have done the same exact thing, uh, in my opinion. Um, but that was the matchup that everyone was looking forward to. And, and you felt they were eventually going to clash. The Seahawks barely won the NFC West. The Niners had to win road postseason games to get to Seattle in the NFC title game, and they did it, and they almost came away with it. And while it was incredibly upsetting and frustrating, in the moment, and even still, as you look back at it now, uh, a decade later, basically, it's still frustrating, uh, and it still eats at you if you're a 49er fan. But there was also a little bit of respect because you knew Seattle was really good. And losing to them while it was terrible, you're like, all right, I mean, they're a really good team. Like, this is a, a coin flip. It could go either way every time these two teams meet. This year is different. The Niners are a 10-point favorite. They're at home. They have the most talented roster in the NFL. The Seahawks kind of backed into the postseason with a little bit of luck. They earned it, but they were also a little bit lucky to get into the postseason, not taking anything away from them. They had a fantastic season, which was much better than expectations, but this is entirely different. If the Niners lose this game, not only will it hurt, not only will it be difficult to swallow, 
but it will be flat out embarrassing. And that's not quite how that NFC title game felt over a decade ago. That wasn't really as embarrassing because that Seattle team was just as good, if not a little bit better than the 49ers. But this year, it's entirely different. It would be an embarrassing loss if it happens again. Yeah, unfortunately, well, they were a little, a little bit better that day. Just a little bit. And they were a lot better than the Denver Broncos on yes. that Super Bowl. But, and, and before we transition, I do think, I, I don't know if you heard Pete Carroll this week, you know, kind of talking about the 49ers saying, you know, basically, you know, not not, mind ad- games. not admitting that they lucked in, but kind of acknowledging that, hey, you know, we got some help to get in the postseason, but now we got to face all oh, those 49ers. Oh, I, you know, it's unfortunate that we got to play those 49ers. And <laughs> like when you talk about an opponent, you know, you're saying you they, they are not at the level, obviously, of that 2013 team. But in a weird way, I, I kind of I have to respect Pete Carroll doing what he can to try and get into the heads of the opposition. And basically, I don't know if it's softening them up or you know, giving them flowers, one of the past he had in and really doesn't feel like he actually does. I don't know what Pete Carroll's playing at, Mark, but I don't know if I like it or not. uh, He's definitely up to something. I mean, you listen to everything he says about the 49ers. He also was uh, on an interview, a weekly interview with a radio station up there, I think 7, 10 a.m. up up in Seattle. Um, And he called the 49ers a juggernaut and said, you know, they're as healthy as they've ever been. They're, they're, you can't possibly be playing be playing better. We have a an like an impossible challenge ahead of us. And you just don't want to hear that from an opposing head coach, let alone Pete Carroll, who Niner fans have grown to hate over the last 13 years that he's been up there and he's saying it in such a a low-key, quiet, it feels so authentic, but you know he's playing mind games. Like I, I on one side, you're like, all right, Pete, you're right. Like, this is a juggernaut Niners team. I, I really feel good about ourselves. But on the other hand, you're thinking, what the hell is this old man up to? Because he's got a few tricks up his sleeve, and he's trying to get in our heads. He's trying to make the Niners, I don't know, lean back. Think, all right, we're a juggernaut. We got this. It's under control. Seahawks lucky to get into the postseason. No big deal. And then before you know it, Seattle's up by 14 early in the game, and he got to fight back to win it. He is playing mind games. Niners and Niner fans, don't take them seriously. Just handle your business, get it done, and deal with everything else afterwards. Do not let this old guy get into your head because he's trying his best to dig in there. Still 71 years old, still chewing gum at a rapid rate. <laughs> I don't know if he's got dentures or not, but I do think that Pete Carroll is still as quick upstairs where it matters he is. as he's ever been. So it's certainly going to be something that um, we'll be paying attention to the rest of the week. I'm sure we'll have some more audio bites to share with you on Friday's episode where we really dig into the matchup between the 49ers and the Seahawks. But for all of those of you listening on the 415ers podcast, please download, rate, and subscribe to the pod. Of course, coming at you three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They might be altered a little bit next week, depending on, of course, the 49ers schedule and when we figure out who the next opponent is going to be, hopefully, if the 49ers can take care of business against Seattle. But, of course, the big storyline heading into this week is the 49ers, well, as always, their quarterback and Brock Purdy, because Mark, it's it did feel like 
he checked just about every single box you could in the regular season. That also includes having a perfect record. Six and oh, five and oh, as a starter, whatever you want to attribute to him as far as wins are concerned. He did everything in those games that you would hope a quarterback stepping in could do to the point where people are now, understandably, not even referring to Brock Purdy as a third-string quarterback because, as we discussed last episode, the offense has gotten to new heights, the weapons have become unlocked, and Brock Purdy, over these last six weeks, has played like the best quarterback, statistically speaking, in the NFL. So what is left for Brock Purdy to prove? It is the postseason. And that's so weird to say for a rookie quarterback that's only played in, you know, seven games with five starts, you know, six majority of those games. But we are looking at Brock Purdy, and I feel like we are starting to have, I, I don't know if it's an expectation or just a want for him to continue what he's doing, but also kind of, you know, see if it's still real, if it's going to translate. And when you're playing against better competition, you know, obviously we hope he takes care of business against Seattle. He's already done it once. But as things get tougher, as the postseason gets more physical, as maybe there's rain on Saturday at Levi's Stadium, how is Brock Purdy going to respond? So what is there left for him to prove? Oh, I'm right there with you. It is uh, postseason adversity. How is he going to respond if his team falls behind early in a playoff game where he knows he needs to come back and win or else the season is over? How is he going to respond if he makes a terrible decision and throws an interception, throws a pick six? Uh, if he holds on to the ball for too long and, and takes a safety, if he fumbles on a, on a strip sack and it's recovered and, and ran back the other way, how does he respond to that in a postseason environment? Because to your point, in the regular season, although it is still a relatively small sample size, we've seen a lot of different I don't know, responses from Brock Purdy. We've seen him come from behind. We've seen him handle a national audience on a short week against a rival up in Seattle. We've seen him go up against the greatest quarterback of all time and not really flinch. We've seen all of those things in the regular season. How is he going to respond if something off script, if something unexpected happens in the postseason. And as I was thinking about this, I remembered back to the 2013 postseason. That was the 2012 season for the 49ers. And that was when Colin Kaepernick took over midseason. And if you remember his first postseason game against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, what did he do on the first drive? His first postseason drive as an NFL quarterback, he threw a pick six. And suddenly, every 49er fan is thinking, oh my God, why did we move on from Alex Smith? This second-year quarterback, without much experience, his first drive in the postseason went for a pick six. Are we going to get upset at home by the Green Bay Packers? Of course, the answer is no. Colin Kaepernick went on to run for 181 yards and two touchdowns, threw for two more touchdowns, as well, and he responded to that adversity well. But Evan, if something similar plays out for Brock Purdy, let's just say he throws a pick six on his first drive as, uh, you know, in the postseason as an NFL quarterback. How does he respond to that? I think from what we've seen from him in the regular season, we can assume he would respond relatively well. 
he would just get right back at it, trust his offense, trust Kyle Shanahan, and try to dig themselves out of that hole. But we haven't seen that yet in that postseason environment. So if there's one thing that I'm still waiting to see from Brock Purdy, it's how does he bounce back from a terrible mistake in the postseason, and will that affect him moving forward? I also do wonder, you know, we're talking about maybe how difficult it is to beat a team three times, but Brock Purdy has only faced this team once, so it is a very different 49ers team. It's also a very different Seahawks team, and we we were basically throwing out week two when we discussed, you know, the week 15 matchup heading into Lumen Field on Thursday night, just because the team had been so much different, and Seattle had really found its stride about midway through the season. They led the division for much of the, the middle portion of the season until the Niners, of course, took over and never looked back. But Brock Purdy now has a chance, I think, in a really, I think in an ideal fashion, in the postseason for Brock Purdy to be able to climb the ladder, in a sense, at his own pace. Because you're not playing a team with relatively much playoff experience on the other side. I know Pete Carroll has it, but Brock Purdy is playing with the majority of the roster or the guys on the field that have played in the postseason that have played deep in the postseason. So as he is going to have guys, to your point, that if he does throw a pick six or you know a strip sack and a fumble, falls behind early, he's got guys in the trenches that will be able to calm him as much as he's able to calm himself. I think that's an advantage for Brock Purdy. I also think that with it being such a lopsided on-paper game, that even if Brock Purdy makes some mistakes which are natural, that those won't hurt him as much if he makes them in the first round and is able to learn from them, take that experience, and move forward. So in my mind, it sets up perfectly for Brock Purdy because it's an opponent that he's faced before. It's a brand-new environment of the postseason, but you get the advantage of a familiar foe, you get the advantage of playing a game at home, and you get the advantage of still having a little bit of the surprise factor because, as we as we just talked about, the sample size for his starts have been small so far, and he's been dominant for the most part in all of them. So Brock Purdy has something to prove as far as showing that he can continue to do it in the postseason, but even if he's not perfect, Mark, I still see this game as a favorable matchup and a place where Brock Purdy can get comfortable in the playoffs because of who he's playing and where he's playing. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, this this whole conversation obviously is because he's a rookie, a seventh round rookie. If this was a third year quarterback, even if it was his when are first. We, when are we going to stop referring to him as that? Like, what, what, what more does he need to do? Exactly. And, and, and that, that's kind of my point. Like, even if this was his first year as a starter, but he was a second year, a third year guy, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And then I think even further, you look at the other quarterbacks in the NFC and you ask yourself, all right, which quarterback would you be most surprised to see in the Super Bowl? And for me, for me, and a lot of it, of course, is who the team is around them. But for me, Brock Purdy isn't even in the top three. I mean, the most surprising quarterback to see in the Super Bowl, Geno Smith or, or I don't know, Daniel Jones. I mean, you could even throw Kirk Cousins in there. I mean, Brock Purdy, and again, a lot of it has to do with the team around them, but we're having this conversation because he's a rookie, a seventh round pick, yada, yada, yada. He took over a month and a half ago. We know the story. 
But the fact is, Evan, that I would not be very surprised if he is representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. The the fact is I would be much more surprised if someone like Daniel Jones or Geno Smith was. So I, I do understand why we have to have this conversation that was me that came to you to, to talk about this specific part because it does need to be discussed. But at the same time, we're also at a situation where I would not be surprised if Brock Purdy makes the Super Bowl. And I know everyone always says, well, a rookie quarterback has never started in the Super Bowl before. Okay, fair. But also, everything that's happened in the past has no bearing over what's going to happen in the future, and no rookie quarterback has ever been in a better position than Brock Purdy is right now. So this is something that needs to be discussed, but I also think we got to understand that there would be bigger surprises than Brock Purdy having success in the postseason. From the beginning of this season, the 49ers have rewritten history and the way things are done, specifically at the quarterback position. From Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason to bringing him back as a backup to Trey Lance becoming the starter over an established starter in Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance getting hurt, Jimmy Garoppolo coming in, Brock Purdy for that matter, in the preseason, beating out a guy with a guaranteed contract and Nate Sudfeld and Kyle Shanahan being comfortable essentially with two first-year quarterbacks on your depth chart and having both of them play, one of them, of course, getting hurt and having the last one eventually become your starter and each and every step you've taken elevating and getting better, this has never happened before. And so that's why I do feel a little comfortable not assuming that Brock Purdy is going to lead this team to the Super Bowl, but that but that this team is a lock for the NFC title game because Brock Purdy has not performed like a rookie quarterback thus far. He has not performed like the place that he was picked this far. And so I don't feel like it's right to view him as that, even though history will look back at Brock Purdy and see, the rookie, first rookie quarterback to do this, the first Mr. Irrelevant to take a snap, first Mr. Irrelevant to win a game, first Mr. Irrelevant to start in the postseason. All of that, I understand, will go into you know, some document that's sent to Canton eventually, and Brock Purdy's jersey, who I believe is already there after he beat Tom Brady in his first ever career start. All of that stuff is well and good, but for right now, the reason why I feel comfortable in having this conversation with you is because... I don't view him anymore as that. I view him as the starting quarterback for a team as with the best roster in football, and that should have the expectation of at least being in the Final Four because that's where they were last year. This team is better. They have a better quarterback. They have a better set of position players. They arguably have a better defense, and they have the number one defense. They should be there, and that's why I don't think that Brock Purdy, it's not all on him, but I am putting him into the equation and he's at the forefront of a lot of it for me. Uh, I'll admit, once you said uh, they're a lock to go to the NFC title game, I blacked out and didn't hear anything else you said. I got to write that prediction down, Evan. I got to hold you to that take. A lock to make the NFC title game, huh? Lock it up. Lock it up. So they'll beat Seattle. Yes. And I, I know next episode we'll we'll run through, I think, full postseason predictions, or at least first-round predictions, who's going to win and and who's who might meet the Niners in the next round if they do hold on. That means a win probably over Minnesota as well, maybe Tampa Bay or Dallas, depending on how things play out. I think I'm with you. 
Um, it would be the way I look at it is I think it would be a disappointment if the team falls short of the NFC title game. From that point on, it's kind of a coin flip. Anything can happen, but they'll be favored regardless of who they play, of course, this round and then in the second round as well. So I think I'm with you, but I, I just had to, to make note of that lock and make sure we uh, we come back to it. That's yeah, it came around the 28-minute mark of the episode that is dropping <laughs> on January 11, 2023. Gotcha. For any, Noted. anyone looking for receipts. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, of course, you know, Mark, you, you had, at many points have, have said the 49ers are going to be the two seed. They became the two seed, but we didn't exactly have the exact point to, to kind of lock that in. Yeah, oh, well. But oh, we know wow. you said it. Next time I, I come out with a hot take like that, one that comes true, I'll have to make sure I uh, I keep track of my take so I can go back and find it. I, I scoured the pod for a while trying to find when I first said it. It took me too long. I wasted too much time on a Sunday trying to figure it out, and, and I couldn't, so I just gave up. But but that's the thing. I don't feel like it's a hot take to say that the 49ers should be in the NFC Conference Champion. Like, it is. I don't, I'm, I'm just I, I don't think it is, personally. Um, you, you going out on a limb saying they be, they should be the two seed when they weren't even number one in the division, I think is a little more out on the ledge, so to speak. Yeah. No big Mark, deal. For those, uh, listening, Mark is patting himself on the back. <laughs> And that's what we do here on the 415ers podcast, coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. We pat ourselves on the back, especially if, you know, you rate us, review us, give us five stars, download, all that stuff is uh, is much appreciated. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy, follow Mark on social at Mark Grandy, Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. I'm on social at egiddings10, at 415ers across all social media platforms. Okay, so this is the next part of the conversation and one that, we'll surely be having over the course of the summer. But again, with the confidence that Brock Purdy has inspired along with the rest of the weapons around him and how this offense has been humming in a way that honestly, I don't even know any other team has outside of perhaps Kansas city and maybe Cincinnati. Uh, you know, when you, when you're looking at total points scored since Brock Purdy has taken over as the starter five out of the last six games, they've eclipsed the 30 point mark. San Francisco was lucky midway through the year if they were eclipsing 2025, it seemed like. So Brock Purdy has taken this offense to a new level. The San Francisco 49ers will have a decision to make this offseason of who is going to be their QB1 heading into next year and potentially beyond. Brock Purdy, in my mind, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago of what the pecking order was going to look like. I thought it would be Trey Lance won, Brock Purdy won A. There would be a competition, but Trey Lance would have the benefit of the doubt. Barring some sort of catastrophic collapse in the postseason, and, and I don't think that's going to happen. Brock Purdy hasn't shown any signs of being a guy that's going to turn the ball over four times and lose you a football game, and I don't think Kyle Shanahan would let him, even if it trended in that direction. It does feel like the trend now is that Brock Purdy is going to be the guy. Now, maybe not unanimously, but he has done enough, in my opinion, Mark, to flip the pecking order ever so slightly to the point where he would be seen as the number one, maybe not by everyone in the organization, but certainly by people on the outside as the number one, maybe you know a 55% number one. And Trey Lance does feel like, in many ways, the 45% under- the 50-50 as the number two at this point? It's a difficult decision or a difficult discussion because on one side, you feel like Trey Lance 
wasn't really ever given a fair shake, a, a real chance. I mean, he was the starter this year. That was the right decision, I think, by Kyle Shanahan, despite the fact that it didn't work out. He started week one in a monsoon and unfortunately didn't play his best. Um, but no one's really holding that against him, considering the environment, considering it was week one, everything else. He comes out week two, didn't look incredible in the first quarter before he got injured, and and then he hasn't played since. And that's been the extent of him as the team starter. So you kind of feel bad because he never was really given a full opportunity to, to really become the team starter. But then you look at what Brock Purdy has done in his limited time as the team's starting quarterback. And again, not even Kyle Shanahan's decision to start him, just by default the team's starting quarterback because they had no other bodies left. And you think, well, how could you give this job to anyone other than this guy? And I think we're at a point, Evan, where regardless of what happens in the postseason, we were talking earlier what when we were discussing how he might respond to postseason drama, to postseason adversity, if he throws a pick six uh, and he gets behind early, say he throws another pick six in the second half and he fumbles another time, he turns the ball over three times, they directly lead to points for Seattle every single time, and the Niners get upset at home by the Seattle Seahawks. Even if something like that happens, Brock Purdy still has a very realistic chance to be the team starter next year. I think he is bad game proof. I'm not saying that he's going to be the starter regardless, but regardless of what happens on the negative end of things, the negative extreme of the spectrum, he's got a chance. He's going to be fighting for that starting job. There's nothing that he can do, good or bad, that will take him out of a competition for next year. He has been that good through the first six games. And unfortunately, the way it is going, which I think is why it's what people point to when they do have pause about the 49ers in the postseason, it is well, I know we just got done talking about this. He is a rookie quarterback, and he's bound to make a mistake here or there, and, and things potentially could snowball. But even if that does happen, Evan, he has done enough in his first six games that he will have an opportunity to win the job next offseason. That is absolutely a given. Now, the other side of the spectrum is what if he wins the Super Bowl? Is he guaranteed the starting job? Is it even going to be a competition? I'm not so sure about that, but he has done enough to where regardless of what happens, even if it's a disastrous Saturday for Brock Purdy, he has a very good shot to be the starter next year still. Yeah, next year to me is, it's a foregone conclusion that he is in the mix. And to me, he's probably number one at this point. That might change on, based on the playoffs, but I think we're on the same page that I, I, I just don't see him doing anything that is like cataclysmic, like that is that is just so beyond bad that he ruins his stock and tanks it to the point where he is, you know, the backup or, or back to the third string quarterback next year. I do still have my doubts, however, about Brock Purdy being a franchise quarterback. If we're talking about the future QB one, that also includes beyond next season. And I don't know if Trey Lance is that guy. But I still do have my doubts about Brock Purdy because as Brock Purdy talked about earlier this week, it is very easy to operate when you have a lot of amazing weapons around you, when you have talent, maybe even in some ways easier than the college game, as he sort of referenced, you know, in his press conference. But Brock Purdy, I do think 
just based on his physical capabilities right now, has more of a ceiling than most rookie or young quarterbacks. I still have doubts about whether his arm is going to be, you know, amazing enough for him to stay in the league for 10 or 15 years. I still have doubts depending on how teams with a full off season can adjust potentially to Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense. I still do think there's some surprise factor with teams that haven't seen him before or even teams that have seen him before. We're talking about Seattle. So I don't know if I would ever be comfortable, even in this offseason, considering Brock Purdy outside of him, you know, winning the Super Bowl, calling him the quarterback of the future. But for next year, Kyle Shanahan's got to be ecstatic. He's got to be extremely excited because he's got two young quality options. One that is more proven than the other, of course, Brock Purdy over Trey Lance. But you still have a guy in Lance that you can develop, invest more time in. Maybe you you don't have as much time because of his contract. But Brock Purdy has established himself to me as a guy and maybe the guy for next year. But I am still hesitant to consider him anything beyond that. I know this this conversation might not mean much to the 49ers because, of course, they're the team that employs Kyle Shanahan. But what's interesting is, do you credit Brock Purdy's success to Brock Purdy and he's just much better than draft evaluators thought, than any team thought? Or is it because he's with Kyle Shanahan in an offense full of weapons? Um, and, I mean, you look at the numbers with Kyle Shanahan – you know, and his quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, under Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, the Niners, 38 and 17. Under Shanahan, but with Nick Mullins, CJ Beathard, Brian Hoyer, and Trey Lance, the Niners are 9 and 29. And now under Brock Purdy, 5 and 0 in his starts. So there's obviously something going on there. And then, you know, the, the conversation becomes well, look at the success the Niners are having with a seventh round rookie quarterback. Do other teams try to emulate the 49ers and try to pick a four-year starter from a Power 5 school, but still a smaller Power 5 school that isn't historically, you know, very good, and, you know, try to go from there, see if they can have success in a similar route to the 49ers. And while I would say that, you know, good for you for trying something different, maybe the Niners have found something You also have to understand that Brock Purdy is in the dream scenario for any quarterback, including a rookie who was a four-year starter at the college level. So I know this is a little, a little off from what we were just discussing, but, but it got me thinking about, you know, the, how much you credit Brock Purdy himself and how much you would, you would credit everyone else in the 49ers organization for this success. But ultimately because it will be Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan and everyone else in the Niners organization again next year. It doesn't really matter to the Niners as much, but I can see opposing teams looking at the success the Niners are having with an extremely young and cheap quarterback and saying, hey, I want that for myself. But the reality is it's it's not that simple. I mean, it's a copycat league. I don't know if before the Rams treated draft picks the way they did, if Kyle Shanahan goes all in and cashes his chips for Christian McCaffrey this year, I I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't because I think Kyle Shanahan has evolved a lot as both a head coach, as well as a front office member uh, and, and John Lynch as well. 
I do think as far as Brock Purdy is concerned, this may not sound like a strong statement, but it falls somewhere in the middle. I do give a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan, and we've seen him elevate Jimmy Garoppolo to heights that, as we've seen now, um, may not be 100% on him because of what Brock Purdy is doing. But I also understand that like you can't, you cannot, you cannot be a successful quarterback in the NFL without weapons. We saw it this year with Aaron Rodgers. When he lost Devontae Adams, he went from being a back-to-back MVP to a solid average, maybe above average at times, quarterback this year. We saw Josh Allen. When did he take off? Yes, it was in his third season. Yes, he went and worked with you know Carson Palmer's brother on his on his throwing motion. He also got Stephon Diggs, who is one of the best wide receivers in football. When did Kirk Cousins take off in Minnesota? When he got Justin Jefferson to pair with Adam Thielen? Like I do think that there are scenarios where yes, quarterbacks Mahomes is going to be great no matter who he's got. He lost Tyreek Hill and he got better this year, but that's not the case for most quarterbacks. You need weapons around you. And I do think we will see in the future when Brock Purdy maybe doesn't have as many weapons at his disposal as he does this year, maybe trend down. Who knows? Maybe he'll get better. But I I can't necessarily hold that against him because I'm also looking at Philadelphia. Philadelphia is stacked. And I don't know if Jalen Hurts is as good of a quarterback as he is because through the air, he wasn't over the past couple of seasons and he's still young. But Kyler Murray's got DeAndre Hopkins. When he's out, he's not as good of a quarterback. Like, that's just the way things are. So I do see what you're saying, and I do want to give a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan as well as Brock Purdy. But I also think situation is something that inevitably matters no matter which quarterback you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. I really like this conversation. I feel like it's something we'll probably spend a lot of the offseason talking about. We'll probably do a lot of thought experiment in terms of, Oh, Brock Purdy, what if he was on XYZ team this season? He's not going to be as good as he was on the 49ers this year. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about this offseason. I know we got to wrap up, but it's it's an interesting conversation because I think you're right. The the, the reality lies somewhere in the middle, as it often does, in terms of who deserves the credit for Brock Purdy's success. I do think there will be some teams trying to copy what the 49ers are doing. And I don't think they're going to have success because you need the situation the Niners are in, which not many teams have. And then you also need to get lucky on a late round pick at quarterback. And that is very, very rare. The Niners seem to have found one. So difficult to do. I'm sure, though, it will be attempted, but probably unsuccessfully. Yeah. And uh, also want to end this podcast with a bit of some good news. Just saw the report that DeMar Hamlin has been officially released from the hospital and is going to be allowed to head home. So that is great news for everyone that's been following the DeMar Hamlin situation uh, that, of course, unfortunately happened last Monday night. We have been talking about it here on the 415ers podcast and uh, that report from The Athletic. Uh, so I want to give credit where credit is due. DeMar Hamlin has been discharged from the Buffalo General Medical Center and uh, continues his recovery at home. That was announced on Wednesday. That's awesome. That is so, su- That's such great news. Wow. Amazing news. That's what we do here. Uh, we'll, we'll continue the amazing news, the amazing breakdowns, the amazing analysis on Friday when the 49ers get set the day before the first round of the playoffs of the 2022-23 playoffs. Uh, but we'll have all the in-depth breakdown for you coming up on our Friday preview episode, Mark.
Yes, sir. Looking forward to it, Evan, and looking forward to uh, Saturday against the Seahawks. Should be fun. It should be. It's Seahawks week, everyone. Third time this season. Don't get that too often. So uh, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. 